James chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. If you'd like to stand, you may do that. Um, if you'd rather remain seating, that's, that's fine. James chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses, okay? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father in heaven, we ask for help this morning as we open your word, as we uh, read the divine truth in front of us. God, we pray that you would put it into our hearts, that you would enable us to bridle our words. God, I pray that you put a guard over our mouth. I pray that you would set watch over the door of our lips. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because God, you are our Lord, you are our rock, you are our redeemer. And so, Father, we ask that you would move today and move our hearts to obedience according to what we read today in the Scriptures. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if I could sum up what James is saying in this passage, I, I would do it this way. I, I would say James is saying the words that you speak over the course of your life, they're going to make or break your life. Okay, Your, your life's going to end up in a certain place your your relationships are going to end up in a certain place your your legacy is going to be a certain thing based on the words that you speak james is going to go on and tell us that your words have this incredible power for good this incredible power to build up and also this potential to do incomprehensible harm and so the first thing that we ought to do i think we ought to start with this, and I'm sorry, you 11 o'clock folks, you got the worst deal of the day, okay? I, I, I apologize for that. There's just no other way that this could not be, okay? Um, but I'm going to ask you to think of the words that you've already said today, okay? 
So you woke up whenever. This is why the 8.30 folks had a little advantage on you. Because I'm convinced most of them got up at 8. They only had about 30 minutes to blow it, right? Uh, then they got here and hopefully we led them in worship. All right, but you guys, I'm assuming you've been up for, I don't know, maybe you get up 10.45. I don't know. But I, I think you probably get up before. So you probably had a longer time. And so I, I just want you to think about this reality. If you're a believer here today, if you're joined to Jesus Christ by faith and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, I just want to ask you, what have you used your words for today already? Like, how have you used your words? Have you used your words in praise? Have you used your words in prayer? You know, have you words, used your words to articulate to God His magnificence, His glory, His strength, His power, His, His wisdom? Have you used your words to pray? Have you prayed with anybody out loud? Have you used your words to affirm? Have you used your words to encourage? Have you said anything to your kids or your spouse or or? or your friend that would lift them up, that would affirm what God's doing in them. Have you used your words in that way today? And then we got to ask the other too, don't we? Have, have you tore down anybody? Have you, have you spoken in, in a disparaging way, in a negative way towards somebody or about somebody? Have you complained? Have you grumbled? Have you, have you, have you been angry with your words? Have you, have you destroyed? Again, it's, it's only 11.31. But you ought to care deeply about that question, okay? Now, one of the reasons you ought to care deeply about that question is because James says we're going to be judged according to our words. Did you see that in verse 1 and 2? He says, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't let everybody else off the hook. You're, we're all, actually, he got this from Jesus. We're all going to be judged according to the words that we speak. And those who teach are going to be judged with even greater strictness. Now, Jesus said everybody, okay, Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Man, guys, that, that is a verse you ought to take incredibly seriously. Jesus says, on judgment day, your words are going to be laid out in front of you. We've been talking the last couple weeks about how we'll be judged according to our deeds. Now, again, you never get to Jesus according to good works or good, good, good words, okay? You can't get there that way. You can only get to Christ by a faith relationship with him, by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him. But, but the Bible says that on judgment day, if you're truly a believer, your life's going to show that. Your words are going to reflect that, okay? And so Jesus says you'll be judged according to every careless word that you've spoken. And he says that the more authority you had, the more, the more wider your audience was, okay? So he's talking to teachers, those who, 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 who speak for God, those, those who would have a gathering of a hundred and some people in front of them, and they would, they would speak the words of God, and they would speak truths about God. He said, you're even, you're even even a higher accountability. God's going to judge you with even greater strictness based on the words that you speak, not only while you're teaching, but all the time. But here's what I wonder. What if James, and I know that he could not even imagine it, but what if James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would have been able to know that we would have social media in 2020. So I, I bet when James is writing this, I bet he's thinking, man, the accountability on, on a person who, who speaks to a hundred people at one time. Man, there's, there's accountability there. Could he have ever imagined that most of the kids in our church, certainly all of you, 
have the ability to speak to tens of thousands on all sorts of topics. Honestly, on stuff that I'm speak for myself, I don't know nothing about. I wonder what kind of judgment we will face for the things that we spoke to thousands of people. I, I tell you what, folks, I, I'm afraid to forward anything. Um, I, I, I just am. And, and here's what I'm convinced of. There's a lot of liars out there. I, like, there just is. There, there, was a, there was an article this week about, about us, about Baptists, and, and, and man, we read that, and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, and then got to looking around, and it wasn't true. Like, it was completely fabricated. There's an accountability for what we speak with our words. So number one, we should care about this question because we're going to be judged by it. And number two, okay, we should care about our words because they're going to have a large influence on the direction of our life. Now, do you notice in verses 3, 4, and 5, James gives these really cool illustrations, okay? The first one is of a bit, and so you, you put this little bit into a horse's mouth, this powerful horse, and you can actually make him go faster, make him go slower, make him go to the left, make him go to the right. If you're good, I suppose you can make him back up, you can make him jump. You can control this animal by this little bit. And then he goes to another illustration, he says, you've got this massive ship, and, and if you've seen ships today, they they really are massive, and yet they're controlled by, in comparison, a small rudder. And so James is saying, you need to realize that the words that you speak have this incredible capacity to actually direct your life, to actually lead your life in one direction or the other. And in fact, he says something in verse 6 that's really interesting to me. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Now, I've always read that, and, and just, just the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, is that the words that you speak have this, have this ability to actually you know, cause great destruction in the course of your life. In other words, there are people whose families are destroyed for generations because of a careless word that was spoken. There are marriages that are destroyed because of careless words, because of mean-spirited words. There are, there are parents that are ostracized from their children because of careless words. There are churches that split or, or cease to exist because of careless words. And so I always just looked at it as, you know, the, the ability of the tongue to wreak havoc and destruction on the, on the course of people's lives, okay? Now, I got something new, though, Okay. So about an hour and a half, two hours before I was to preach the first service, and I don't know what, how I even got there. I don't even remember, but I happened to look up the Greek word for that, that course of life, okay, where it says uh, in verse um, 6, entire course of life, setting on fire the entire course of life. I happened to look that up in my Greek uh, dictionary, and I tell you, if I'd have done this Tuesday, the whole sermon would be about this, okay? Because I, I, I am really interested in what it said, okay? So when I looked up the definition of that, first of all, I was a little puzzled because you know what the definition of that word is? The primary one is a wheel. A wheel. And my mind was like, what? How is the course of your life a wheel? And then the first thing that came to mind was like, oh, like a steering wheel. And then what was my next thought? Oh, yeah, they didn't have those back then, did they? No, you know, so I'm like, how is the course of your life a wheel? And so I kept reading the definitions, okay? And I, I, just, I wrote them down, so I, you, get, you get to read them too. Okay, here we go. Ready? Wheel, 
something made round for rolling, okay? And then this, a course, a pattern of events, a cycle. Oh, now my wheels are turning, like for real, right? And then this definition, an ordered series of events involving repeated patterns. What I found as I read the whole definition was this word was, was, was used in Greek for patterns of events, things that occurred over and over. That, that's the wheel part, right? Over and over and over and over again. Oh, my goodness. Do you see the implications of that for what James is saying? James is saying that the words that you speak, they, they tend to, if they're the wrong words, they tend to produce this over and over and over again pattern of destruction in people's lives. And all of a sudden, I begin to think of marriages that I've counseled where, where they may have been married for decades, but there was this pattern, this pattern of hurt, right? And then, then the response of hurt with this barrage of, of, of sharp, barbed, angry words that hurt and destroyed, and then Things cooled down and it got better, but it happened again and again and again and again. And then I started thinking, then I had this thought. I started thinking, I wonder if that's absolutely true, but I wonder if James also meant that our words have the power to produce these cycles in our lives, okay? And then, I, then verses start firing off in my mind. The first one that started firing off is that verse in Proverbs. I, I didn't even look it up, but it's, it's there. I, if you don't believe me, I can find it for you, okay? But it says, a fool's mouth invites a beating, okay? Now, what, is that, what does that verse describe? That, that says a foolish person is going to say stuff that gets him into fights. How many times? Once? No, right? The implication of that is the wheel, right? Like, like if, 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 you, if you have foolish speech, you know what's going to happen? That's going to get you into conflict again and again and again. There's going to be this cycle of destruction in your life. You know, I, I even started thinking about if you're a person that speaks the gospel often, okay? If you're a person that always has the gospel on your lips, you're always talking about the glory of Jesus, you're always bragging on Jesus, you know what's going to happen to you over and over and over in your life? You're going to get opportunities to share the gospel, right? You're, you're going to come to your small group and you're going to say, man, I got to share with this guy the, the other day and this guy the other day. And there's going to be people in your small group and they're going, how come he always gets those opportunities to share the gospel? You know why? Because his words create a cycle of the Spirit of God using him again and again and again in your life. And so when, when, when James here says that our words create or they have the potential to bring this firestorm into the course of our life, he's saying your words have the potential to bring this damaging fire to your life over and over and over and over again in this cycle. Now, look at the destructive words that he uses for for, for the power of words. He, he talks about fire over and over again. Let's see. Let's look at um, verse 5 and 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Three or four times there, he mentions this, this, this potential for harm being, being equated to fire in the words that you speak. I don't know if you guys have been watching the deal in Australia, but, but have you seen how fire spreads? One of the commentators I wrote talk, talked about how fire has this almost unique ability 
to reproduce itself over and over again as long as it has fuel. See, other things don't have that ability. How many of you have ever taken a five-gallon bucket of water, threw it out on your lawn, and you didn't mean to, but it reproduced itself and caused a great flood and toppled down your neighbor's house, you know? That doesn't happen, does it? Like, like other things don't do that, right? You know, if you throw a big bucket of water out, it's, it gets everything all wet, but then it's gone, right? I get, it doesn't continue. It's over. It's over. Now, in the right conditions in northwest Oklahoma, if you throw a match out and it burns your yard, is it over? Man, it may burn for a month. It may destroy. That, that's the image James is using for your words. Your words have this ability when they exit your mouth to destroy and then keep destroying and keep destroying. I've counseled families, particularly during funerals, where there, there's a rift in the family. Everybody always tells you that when you do a funeral. Okay, now, you know, you can't say this about Bob. because You know, you know right? Like, like it, you know, they got to fill me in on the insides. And a lot of times I'll ask, well, when, when did that start? Well, it was like generations ago. And like, it's, it's, it's burning the grandkids. And it started 50 years ago. Our words have the ability to destroy. David knew this. In the Psalms, Psalm 57, he talks about um, the people that are speaking lies about him. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. He's not talking about real lions. He's talking about people. I lie down among fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows and whose tongues are sharp swords. We read that even in the book of Proverbs. It says there's some who speak and it's like sword thrusts and there's some who speak and it's like the tongue of the, the wise brings healing. In other words, your words can either destroy or they can heal. There's this passage in 2 Samuel. Uh, you may have, have read the story before, but David is king in Israel and there's a neighboring king who dies and his son takes the throne. And David and the, the father, the, the, the father of that son who died, were good friends and they got along well. And so David gathers up a couple of his men, and he says, I want you to take a gift to, to the, the, the son who just took the throne, tell him we're really sorry about his loss. We're very sorry. So they go and do that. And when they get there, the counselors to the king, they go over and whisper in his ear. They're like, you can't trust these guys. This day, David doesn't care about your dad. All he cares about is taking over your kingdom. This is all, this is all big sham. This is all big, big false you know, show of sympathy. They're really here to hurt us. The king believes him. That starts a war. There ends up massive amounts of men die because of that one lie. That's the ability of words to destroy. In verse 6 it says words can stain. Words can mark you. Would you believe that, that you, can, you can walk around with a mark on you, like almost a stain because you're known as a gossip. You're known as somebody who can't be trusted. You're known as somebody that can't keep a secret. You're known as somebody who lashes out with your words, somebody that has a temper with your words, and it stains you. Verse 8, it talks about words can be a poison. They can, they can slowly kill. You can, you can say something to somebody, and, and it hurt them for decades. I was doing a discipleship training yesterday and had some guests show up, which is really fun, really cool. I didn't expect it, but uh, we had some guests come. And uh, it was actually a married couple, and they came and joined us. And so uh, we were looking at this passage. I, I said, well, hey, let's, this is what I'm preaching tomorrow. Let's look at this passage. So we read it, and I said, okay, what jumped out at you? What would you see here? And, 
And then, then shortly as, as, the progression, as the discussion progressed, I asked a question. I said, you know, have any of you experienced this? Have you experienced, you know, words that burned you deeply? And the woman told this interesting story. She said that she was confronted by, by someone in her workplace uh, for like a review, and they just tore her up. I mean, just, you're a terrible job. You're doing your failure. You're this, you know, you've done a terrible job for the company, blah, 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 blah. You know, and she said, at the time, I handled it fine. You know, she said, I, I realized that this person was young and they didn't know much and, you know, and, and I, would, I would hear their criticism and I would do the best I could to be better and, and I just went on. And she said, 10 years later, a long time later, she was at a retreat and, and, and they were talking about, I don't know what they were talking about, I don't remember what they were, but they had a, like a prayer time where you got alone with God. She said, that conversation just came back and broke her. She said, she just broke apart she's tears, you know, and, and just kind of dealt with it with the Lord. It's poison. Like words that are spoken can sink in and slowly be there, tearing you up for years. All right, now all that is, is bad. Let's, let's talk about some good, okay? So on the positive side, look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. All right, now, now there's a couple ways that you can look at that. Let's, let's look at it negatively the first way, okay, and then we'll look at it positively. Okay, so negatively, I think what that's saying is, um, and by the way, don't let, don't let perfect mess you up. Remember James uses perfect in maybe a different way than you often think of perfect. Do you, do you remember in James chapter 1 where he said, if, uh, if we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't think he means sinless. In other words, when James used the word perfect, I don't think he means sinless. I think he means mature. It's one of the ways the word is used. Like grown up. Like you, you've, you've become who you're supposed to be, okay? And so one of the ways that you could look at this is you could say, if somebody can actually control their words, if, if they can bridle their tongue, if they have enough self-control to give their words over to Jesus and, and not say things they shouldn't, they're going to be able to control their whole body. Okay, right? You know why? Because it's a whole lot easier to control your body than it is to control your words. Your words are the hardest thing, right? Let me prove that to you. Is it harder to kill somebody with a knife or to slash apart their reputation with words? It's a lot harder to kill somebody with a knife. Okay, right? Like, I mean, to have a conflict and to pull out your knife and to charge at them, you know, and, and start hacking away, you know, and normally you can't kill somebody right away. You get to kind of keep hacking at them, you know. They're fighting back at you and punching. And in the meantime, you get blood all over your clothes. This is not personal experience. I'm just thinking, you know, okay. You get blood all over you, you know, and, and then you, you got to go home and you walk in and, man, you look, oh, I mean, terrible. And, and, then, and then what are people going to think? Like, what's your Sunday school class going to think, right? And, and then eventually the police are going to get involved and penitentiary. I mean, are you really fit for the prison system? Probably a lot of you are not, you know. You, you're really picky about your diet. You're picky about your accommodations, you know. I mean, killing somebody's hard. It's not hard at all, though, is it? You can do this with your thumbs. Just slash somebody apart. You can do this in conversation in the car. Just as cool-headed as you can be. Well, let me tell you about that person. You can cast doubt on people. You can even do it kind of in a righteous way. Well, you know, we ought to pray for them. 
We ought to pray. You know, you can, we ought to thou shalt pray for them. Because you know what they're going through. You know what she did. And you know how he is. Oh, that's easy. So, so in a way, James is saying, man, if, if you can control your words, you can control your whole body. Okay, but let's, let's turn that around. Okay, so, so turn that around and let's make it positive. So the positive side of that is that if you can control your words, you can also affect your heart. You can also become more like Christ, all right? So let, let me explain what I mean by that. So, so when your heart is wrong, okay, you guys have been there. When your heart is wrong, when your heart is angry, it's lustful, it's prideful, it's full of self-pity, it's selfish, okay? When your heart is wrong, what's going to happen? Man, it's going to come out. So you, you better quickly deal with your heart, right? That, that's, that, that's, that's really what the Bible would say is you got to quickly deal with your heart. But here's what I believe James would say. If you can learn to bridle your tongue, you will minimize a whole bunch of damage, all right? Because there's, there's a lot of times where our heart is not right, and it takes a little bit to get our heart right. Have you noticed that? You know, it takes a little surrender. It takes a little prayer. It takes a little, you know, to get. And if you can learn to bridle your tongue when your heart is not right, you, you can affect the course of your life. You can steer the course of your life. There's this great passage in Romans, Romans 6. About, it's about how to, how to become like Jesus. And in Romans 6, 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So, so Paul says, okay, when your heart is bad, do not give your heart access to your mouth. Because if your heart has access to your tongue, you're going to sin. And so James is saying, if a man can learn to bridle his tongue, you know what he can do? When his heart is bad, if he's bridling his tongue, you know what, you know what happens? He minimizes the damage. He minimizes the damage. He, he stops other people from sinning. He, he, sin will get momentum, and, and he can stop that if he has learned to bridle his tongue. Right? Let me let me give you a couple of illustrations, all right? So let's say illustration one. Somebody's in their small group and somebody says something mean. Says mean as can be. They said, Your beanie weenies taste like dirt. Why do you bring those? Man, they're hurt. So scenario number one, they're hurt and their their heart is not good. Like, it's full of anger. It's full of how dare you. I've been bringing them beanie weenies for 10 years. I've been told I make the best beanie weenies in all the world. And you never bring nothing, by the way. And so I'm bringing stuff, and you don't bring, you know, and, and their heart is bad. Okay, scenario number one, they don't bridle their tongue, right? So they start, or the, right? They're calling everybody in the small group. You know what so-and-so said? And then the next morning in their Bible reading, man, they're convicted. Man. Jesus died for my sins. I ought to be able to put that sin on the cross. You know what? I repent. All right. That's good. Oh, wait. The whole small group is now full of dissension because they didn't bridle their tongue. You see, it gets scenario number two. Same thing. Beanie weenie, old story. Heart is bad, but they're bridling their tongue. And they're like, you know what? I, I'm not going to say anything about this. I'm going to take it to the Lord. In their quiet time, heart gets right, didn't say anything. 
no damage. Isn't that awesome? No damage. All right? So, so Paul says, Paul, or James is saying here, your tongue has the, the ability, it, it has the ability to direct your life and direct it into righteousness. So, so whenever our heart is bad, if we'll actually just obey the scriptures by faith, if we'll start speaking Christ-centered words, if we'll start speaking the promises of God, even if we don't feel them, that has this incredible ability to impact your heart. All right, final thing. Verse 9 through 12, the tongue can be an instrument of great hypocrisy. I'm going to read that for you again, okay? Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Now, now what, what is he saying here? What he's saying here, first of all, is that our tongues are meant to bring blessing. Okay? We're commanded to do that. You know what Isaiah 43, 7 says? It says you're on this planet for the glory of God. You are here. You're alive. God gave you life. God created you for the glory of God. And God commands that you use your mouth to bring glory to Him, to bless God. I was reading this week in the Psalms, Psalm 66.1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. That is a, that is a direct command right out of the Scriptures. And I wonder how many Christians die and never obey it. I didn't, I didn't want to be one of those Christians. You know what I did in my office the other day? I shouted to God. Not shouted at God. I shouted. I just, I just got to thinking, man, that's, that's all through the Psalms. Shout to the Lord, the glory of his name. It was a good thing I didn't read that at like five in the morning at my house because that had gone badly with my, my family, but there wasn't anybody at the church. And so, you know, what, what I'm saying is your mouth was meant to praise. Like God tells you, you are to use your mouth to bless. You are to use your mouth to proclaim his greatness. But here's what he's saying. If the same mouth is blessing God and they're turning around and cursing men who are made in the image of God, he said, that doesn't make any sense. The word curse in our culture usually means a bad word, right? In James' culture, though, oftentimes it just means that you say things with the intent of hurting somebody. That's what a curse is. It's like, I want to say something that hurts you. Or I'm going to say something about you to somebody else that will hurt you. All right, and so James has this picture. He says it doesn't make sense that from the same heart, right, that's where our words flow out. From the same heart, we're blessing God. We're saying, God, you are worthy. You are glorious. You're awesome. You're, you're great. And then we turn around and, and, and we say things that seek to harm other people. The only illustration I could think of that sort of kind of hits at this is, let's say after church you're talking to a family and, and you say something really complimentary to the husband, you know, something like, hey, I saw what you did this week in our community, and I just want you to know you're a stand-up guy. Man, that, that was really something. Thank, thank you for taking care of our community, ministering to our community that way. 
The other thing I want to tell you is, your kid is the worst kid I've ever met in my life. I mean, they're a scoundrel. I mean, I, I've never met a kid so unpleasant to be around. I, nobody can stand, everybody talks about it. Nobody can stand being around that guy. Is there any way you can ship him off? Does it work? It doesn't work. And it doesn't work with God either. You see, James is saying, you can't do that with God. You can't be at church magnifying the glory of the Lord and then turning around and saying things that are meant to tear down other people. John said it best in 1 John when he said, you can't love God and hate your brother. It just doesn't work. That's hypocrisy. You can't keep doing that. He says, these things ought not to be. You're a double-minded man. That's, that's what James would call that. He says that over and over again in the book of James. You're double-minded. You, you live one way and, and this way. He says, you only got one heart. So what's in your heart? If what's in your heart is glory to God, then that's what should come out of your mouth. All right, so I want to finish. This is really where I wanted to get to. I want to finish by talking to you about some practical things that you can do to steer your life in, in, in a way that will bring blessing to you, to God, and to others, okay? Because remember, remember, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. The tongue is like a rudder on the ship, okay? Now, that can be bad, but that can also be good, okay? The good thing about that is you can actually use your words today. You, you can make some, some commitments to use your words today that actually take your life in a new direction, okay? So three things here, okay? Number one, uh, number one is, and this again deals with our heart, is that we've got to learn to quickly deal with our hearts, okay? All right? Quickly deal with your heart. There's this, this great verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, and it says, Keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from your heart, from, the, from your heart, it's going to flow the springs of your life. I'll give you one guess on what the next verse is about. You're right, words, okay? The next verse says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Guys, we've got to learn to take a survey of our heart. You've got to know when your heart is not right. You've got to know when your heart's full of anger. You've got to know when your heart's full of irritation. You've got to know when your heart's full of pride. You've got to know when your heart's full of selfishness. And you've got to quickly deal with that. And in the meantime, you've got to ask God. You've got to ask Him to put a muzzle on your mouth and keep you from talking when your heart is not in the right spot. Okay? Um... I think Angela was laughing at muzzle. But listen, it's biblical, okay? It's biblical. Let, let me show you. The psalmist prays this way. Psalm 141.3 says this. Put a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Guys, you should be praying about that. One of the things I would ask you is, when's the last time that you prayed about your speech, okay? Not, not after you blew it, but before you blew it. Like, when's the last time you said, God, I need help saying the right things. God, I need help not using my words to tear down. You know, Psalm 1911, I'm so thankful for Leona Logan, my team kid teacher, because she made me memorize this. And Psalm 1911 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Those are prayers. That, that they're, they're prayers. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. All right, so, so we ought to keep a watch on our heart, and then we ought to pray, asking God relentlessly to watch over the words that come out of our mouth. Number two, and this comes right out of James. We skipped this intentionally because we knew we were going to hit it in chapter 3, James 1.19. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Man, it is an incredibly powerful application to just learn to listen. I don't know about you. I'm the kind of guy that when I am talking to somebody, my initial response is, oh, yeah, I know everything about this topic. Let me tell you everything I know. Whenever I have people come in from counseling, for counseling, I had this happen this week. Um, person came in, and they, they told me kind of, I'm here for this. What do you think happened immediately? Like immediately, I, I wanted to be like, oh, yeah, I know the answer to that. I've dealt with this 100 times. Here you go. I've had to train myself not to do that. And, and the way that I try to train myself not to do that is I try to make myself ask questions. When you ask questions, you know what you're doing? Listening. You know what James 1.19 said? Be quick to listen. And so the way I've tried to do that in my life is I ask a bunch of questions. I, I want to listen. I want to hear your perspective. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear what, what you've got to say on this. You know, I, I can't hardly ever think of a time in my life where I regretted hearing somebody's story. But I can think of a whole lot of times in my life where I regretted telling so many stories. Right? I, I mean, we just hardly ever regret listening to people. And James says, be quick to listen. I, I think James is talking about the Word of God, actually, as well. Like, listen to the Word of God. Like, hear counsel. Hear wisdom. Be quick to listen. Learning to listen in a volatile situation. You know when you're in that conflict? You, you know what most people do when they're in a conflict? When the other person is, is, is talking, what are they doing? They're not listening at all, right? They're, all that's happening is that person's mouth's going like this, and they're not listening. You know what they're doing? They're formulating their plan in their mind, right? They're, the other person's talking, and they're going, all right, point number one, you're a jerk. Point number two, here's the reasons you're a dirt jerk. Point number three, here's what everybody else thinks of you, right? And they're just, they're, they're just formulating that in their mind. They're not listening. And, and Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Okay, so when you talk a lot, you're going to sin a lot. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I am so sad that it took me a long time to learn this, but I am so happy that I've made significant progress in 28 years of marriage of realizing that there are a bunch of things that you just don't have to say. You just don't have to say them. Man, I, I'm telling you, when, and I had good, I think I had good motives when I was first married. I just felt like I, I got to say that. Like, like, hey, you need to know this. Like, hey, you're doing that wrong, you know? And I, 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 need, to, I need to tell you, I need to give you my input on this. Man, I... I'm just so happy 28 years later that there's just, I still mess up once in a while, but there's just a lot of things you don't have to say. There's a lot of things that, I, I, I kind of think of it this way. I think of it as, will it matter at all if I just don't say this? I was washing dishes with my mother over Christmas. My mother loads the dishwasher wrong. She just does, you know. Everybody knows you start with plates at the bottom from the left to the right, you know. My mom just slapped great big pans down there in the bottom, you know. I mean, it's just wrong, you know. When I was 19, I'd have told my mom, you're loading the dishwasher wrong. At 47, I just helped her. I just put pans in there. 
you know what? They'll come out clean or they won't. It's okay. You don't, you don't always have to say it. You know what? You don't have to tell people their, their failures. Did you know that? I, I know some of you, you're like, well, you do. You know, they're messing it up. They're a failure. There's absolutely a place for loving on people and helping them be better. But just as a general rule, you don't have to tell them. It's okay. Does God tell you all yours all the time? Man, you wouldn't have time to do anything else. He'd be interrupting from heaven. Wrong, 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 wrong. Be quick to listen. You don't have to tell people you're frustrated. You don't have to tell them when you're irritated. You don't have to tell them when you're... You know what? When you're in traffic, you don't actually have to tell everybody around you that they're stupid. Okay? Yeah. You don't. Like, you can keep that to yourself and deal with your heart. Like, can, can you not say it and it's okay? Yeah. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. All right, number three, this last one. Aim to bless. Man, if there's one that I could just get you to make some commitments on, it would be this one. Okay? No, notice what he said. Let me read in verse 9. With it, with our words, we bless our Lord and Father. Verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing. You have the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring blessing through your words. And you you know what's true? If you are using your tongue in that way, genuinely, you won't be using it to destroy things. Man, my challenge would be uh, these things. There's a bunch of them. Number one, commit commit in your life to take time each day to use your mouth to praise God is worthy of your praise. And and for you to take time to say, God, you are worthy. God, you are strong. God, you are glorious. God, you're so patient with me. God, I have blown it so much and you've been so generous. And God, you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins and take all my filth away. And God, you raised Jesus from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God. And man, God, I'm so happy at what we're going to do someday. I was talking to Asher uh, this week. Uh, I think it was this week about we read 1 Thessalonians and we read how, how Christ is going gonna, is gonna to come and meet us in the air. We're going to join him in the air. And I told him, buddy, do you know what that means? For at least once, maybe a whole bunch, I don't know, but at least once you're going to fly. I can't tell you how pumped he was about that, you know? So man, if you're in Christ, I mean, you're, use your mouth to praise. I had somebody ask me recently, why does God need all that? He doesn't. You do. You need that. Your heart needs that. That's part of the reason this thing inside here is messed up and you're all cranked up about everything. It's because you don't praise. Use your words to praise the Father. That will impact your heart. Use your words to pray to God. Tell Him. Tell Him about your anxieties, your frustrations, your stresses, your hurts, your pains. He's the guy you can go to and dump it all out on. He He can handle that. He doesn't sin. Pray to him. Commit to use your words to pray out loud with other people. I'm continually doing premarital counseling. I got two couples I'm going through right now. I mean, I, I tell you what, I, I mean, we, we do a conflict inventory. We do a family history. We do a, a goals inventory. We do all this stuff. It's four or five hours, you know. If I could find a way to, in the first session, in the first half hour, 
convince them that if you will commit to continually, every day for the rest of your marriage, pray out loud together. Like come to the Father and voice your prayers together, out loud, praying for each other, praying for your family, praying out loud. If you'll do that, we can all go mountain biking. We don't have to do the rest of this stuff. Like, that is powerful. I have a hard time selling that, folks. It, it is incredibly hard for married couples to pray out loud together. It's one of those mysteries of heaven. Like, I don't understand the Bermuda Triangle, and I don't understand why couples have a hard time praying together. But it's true. Use your words in that way. Okay, speak gospel truth. Use your words to speak truth. How about this one? As much as possible, look for ways that you can encourage and affirm. Use your words to encourage. Use your words to build up. Use your words to affirm. Use your words to compliment. Use your words to, to, to point people to Christ. You know, there's, there's probably a limit on how much you can do that with friends, you know, before they start thinking you're weird, you know. Actually, I don't know. There is a encouragement, yes. Affirmation, because affirmation is a little bit different. I think of affirmation as I'm affirming what I see God doing in you. I don't know that there is a limit to that. But your children, your grandchildren, I almost think you got this blank check that you ought to just use your words to encourage them, to speak truth over them. I, I think you have the power to take that rudder and to turn that ship of your life and their life in incredible ways. Last night I took Asher. He's got back ready to go to bed. I was studying. He came over to say goodnight to me, and I, I took his face in my hands. I squished his big cheeks together, and I kissed him on the forehead about five times. Just then I took his face, and I looked right at him, and squeezed his cheeks. And I said, when you're an old man, are you going to remember that your daddy squeezed your face, told you he loved you, and kissed you? He said, why are you doing this, Dad? It's a good question. Let me tell you why I'm doing it. I actually think someday when he looks in my coffin, I want him to remember. My daddy squeezed my cheeks together, kissed me on the head, told me he loved me. I think I got a shot at that, you know? I mean, you can't, you can't always control what people are going to think, right? But I think if I do that enough, I think someday he'll walk through that line and he'll say, I remember my daddy. He grabbed my face, he kissed me on the head, and he told me he loved me. Can you do that too much? I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess if he's out there wrestling, it's a state tournament, you know. Leave him alone till afterward. You know, I mean, don't be dumb, right? But what I'm saying is you have this like unlimited opportunity to use your words for incredibly impactful things. But sometimes we're just caught up griping and complaining and telling everybody how irritated we are, how frustrated, how we're mad at everybody. Man, all you're going to do is burn things down over and over and over again. Steer the ship. Father, we ask for help. 
God, we ask that you would give us, God, the, the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to bridle our tongues, to, to not, not sin with our speech, but to use our speech to bless you, to bring glory to your name, to speak words of truth, to share the gospel, to, to affirm and encourage and comfort. God, enable us to use our words in that way. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was, um, just a second, one more thing. I was sarcastic with my daughter yesterday, my 16-year-old. She didn't do anything. I was just, I was, I was really busy and I was really frustrated. And she came up, needed something, and and I am by nature sarcastic. Like I don't have to work at that. I just am. And so I was a little sarcastic with her. And anyway, we just had a little interchange, and she left, and I it was nothing. It wasn't anything big. When I was praying this morning, it came to my mind, and so I just sent her a little text and said, "Hey, when I said that yesterday, I didn't. My my intent was not to hurt you." And I was busy with this other stuff, and and anyway, I'm, I'm sorry if, if that hurt you. And she texted me back when she woke up and said, oh, Dad, I, I didn't think anything of it. You know, I forgive you. It's no big deal. I, I just tell you that story because if you need to your, use your words to say you're sorry, to confess your sin, you should do that. That's all I want to say. Let's sing.